Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, hey, Liverpool One Church, why don't you stay on your feet for just a minute? Man, I'm so glad that you've chosen to come out to church today. I'm super excited to be back in the place that honestly I love to be in more than any other place in the world. And that is just being a part of building the local church here in Liverpool with every single one of you guys. And I'm absolutely convinced that something really special happens when just one or two believers gather all under the name of Jesus. And I promise you, whether it's in the room or whether it's online, whether it's at this service or whether it's later coming at the 12, there is more than one or two of us believers gathered in one space. And the promise is that there Jesus will be in the very midst of our gathering with our intentionality to lift high up the name of Jesus. And I don't know at all what it is that brings you to church today, but man, I'm so glad that you've made a decision to come out to Liverpool One Church, especially if you feel like your life ain't going all that great today. I promise no matter how hurting you might be on your way into church, I've been praying all week that when you leave, that when I leave, when we all leave, that we'll walk out hurting, but hoping, hoping in the one true living God who really does have the ability to make the difference in your life and in mine. I've absolutely been fixated in Psalm 8 this week and the Psalmist, he gives us this clue about what God's character is really like. And he talks about how when he starts to think upon the canvas of creation, And he makes this statement and he says that when I think about the works of the heavens and yet how I think about how you made them with your fingers, the moon and the stars and the vastness, the sheer size, the the magnitude of all that is creation was made by almost the smallest part of God's anatomy. And then he goes on to say, and how that God is mindful of us as mere mankind and how He cares for you. So today, I've been praying that you'll leave church knowing, believing and sensing that there is a God that is real, who truly, intimately cares for you today. Can we bow our heads real quick? Yeah, come on, let's make a loud noise and a shout of praise for God before we even get going. Let's, um, let's bow our heads real quick and let's close our eyes. Let's pray before we jump into the Word of God today. Heavenly Father, You're the God that knows every single one of our days before even one of them had ever been lived out. Lord God, You know of everything that we're dealing with. You know of every struggle and every pain. You know of every blessing and every point of celebration. But right now, Father, we're asking that by the power and the help of Your Holy Spirit, that we would all in the room and online today would have a moment of divine connection with You, where we would feel like through Your Scriptures and through Your Word, that we would feel confident in the knowledge that You are mindful of us. You care for us. 
are non-dependent of how we've come into church today. We're asking, praying and believing that when we walk out, we'd walk out hoping and knowing and feeling and sensing like we've just heard from You. And we ask this all in the mighty Name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats, guys. It is... um, It is amazing to be back with you. It feels for Emma and I actually and some of our team that we've had a lot of time away. We had a real, we had a real, on one hand, amazing week last week, but we had a real bad week in terms of travel. We were, I think we were traveling one day just because of cancellations um, and a whole bunch of stuff. We ended up getting stuck in airports. We were actually traveling for, I think it was 43 hours on our outbound and then on our inbound, um, just like double what it was supposed to be, 18, 19 hours on what really was supposed to be a seven-hour flight out to Kenya in Africa. We've never been there before, but we were out there with Compassion UK. And we really do count it such an honour and a privilege that we were able to see firsthand at some of the amazing work that you, Liverpool One Church, have been involved in for a number of years. And wow, we are so excited over the next coming months to be able to share with you a little bit more about that journey. But it actually meant that we weren't even in in church last week and we were supposed to land back at 8am on the Saturday morning and I think that we got back at like 12.30 Sunday afternoon. So everything went uh, completely against what the plan was supposed to be. So it really is special and it feels like the first time to be back in Liverpool One Church with you all today. So um, I trust that you guys have had a great week because I know for sure I feel like God has been doing something just in our hearts and just helping us figure out what we're going to do as a church to continue helping around the corner and around the world. But putting all of that sob story aside, we're going to be continuing to jump into our Family Matters series today. I want to guess, I really want to try and um, speak directly into one of the most important elements of any family unit. I want today to try and speak into the marriage element of your family unit. I want to speak into the way in which we all do relationships. And I guess that that's on many of our radars because this week's been Valentine's uh, day, and I'm sure that some of you girls and guys have been spoiled rotten and you have been made to feel loved and cherished and valued. And there's part of me that wants to kind of say, like, hey, girls, why don't you throw your hands up in the air if your husband was Mr. Love a lover this week? But I know that that would mean that there could potentially be some of you that feel like actually Valentine's wasn't that great for me at all. Like, he did Norton, he did Norton, and like, she didn't do anything either. And you're a bit like Valentine's feels dead in our house. Is that even a thing anymore? And you're maybe a little bit wounded. But the fact is, is that Valentine's does kind of put the spotlight spotlight on all of our relational lives. And I think that what we know is this, is that when relationships are going great, life goes great. But when your relationships hit a troublesome time, when things maybe feel a little bit broken, when things start to feel almost a little bit dysfunctional, it's not just the relationship that suffers. It's everything else that gets affected. If you're anything like me, 
When your marriage isn't in a great place, it feels like you've got no motivation and no inspiration and no creativity to even turn up at work. It feels like parenting the kids is incredibly difficult and hard. It seems to you like there's no easy option, there's no easy path, because the reality of it is, is that when things get hard in your relational life, everything else gets affected. And when things get hard relationally, chances are that you start to hurt internally. And I guess that what we want to start to think about today is, well, what do you do if you're hurting in a relationship today? Like, how do you manage that? And maybe you've got the perfect marriage. Maybe this isn't your reality, but chances are it could be one day. Because there are people in the room today, and you know exactly what it's like to experience a time or a season where he broke your trust, and he was supposed to be the guy that never broke your trust. There have been times in your married life when she has spoken to you in such a way that she used words and phrases that you never expected that to come out of her mouth. And the truth is, it's left you feeling let down and hurt. So I think that what I want to try and do in the knowledge that when you get hurt relationally, the temptation is is that you start to believe that you're going to be hurt forever I want to try and give you a scriptural, biblical framework for some very practical things that you can implement in your married life today that will help you move from hurting to hoping if you're just willing to humble yourself and actually apply the scriptures of God even in your marriage. Because let me tell you, can I be honest? Coming to church alone, singing a few songs and clapping along and maybe even hearing a message every now and then, it doesn't change anything in your life. What changes things in your life in mine is when we turn up at church and we worship with an open heart and then we hear and receive the Word of God and we actually say, I'm going to be willing to activate that in my life and live up to it and do what the Scriptures says. Knowing the Scripture doesn't help anybody. Doing the Scriptures is a game changer. Now, there may be some of you that are already writing me off and about to get your phone out. You've already checked in on Instagram. You've already opened up Facebook because you're sat there thinking, well, hey, my marriage is perfect. Like, I've got the best husband on the planet. My wife is amazing. We ain't got any relationship problems. So why are you talking to us about how to handle hurting times and become more hopeful? Because my marriage is amazing. Well, if that is the case, firstly, that is so amazing. And what a blessing and an honour if that is the place of your relational life has found you today. But chances are high that at some point, just because life is moving all the time and life is turbulent, chances are high that at some point you might end up hurting too. So it's a great time for you to learn and understand now exactly what you need to do if you ever find yourself hurting in your marriage. And in an equal way, I could say the same thing for those of you that are single. Maybe you're in church and you're like, man, I haven't had a girlfriend for years. For some of you, like, I've never had a girlfriend. I've never had a boyfriend. Like, why do I even need to know about marriage and how to have a hopeful marriage today? Well, again, I would say the same thing to you. Sometimes it's about learning who you need to become in order to attract the person that you want to attract. So now is the best time for you to make notes, for you to open up a note in your iPhone and call it relationship goals. Now is the very best time for you to understand from a scriptural basis of what you actually need to be doing within a marriage unit so that when you do get married, you've got a head start and maybe you don't have to fight some of these fires that we're going to be talking about today. 
this year, Emma and I celebrate 20 years of marriage, which, um, man, what a lucky girl she is, right? I mean, how blessed is she? We all know who's punching here, and uh, it's not my wife. But actually, we, we're going to celebrate 20 years. And she even said to me last night, like, uh, what are we planning to do? It's our 20th year. I was like, typical guy watching Liverpool play football. Like, I don't know. I have no clue. I haven't even thought about it. But, but here's the thing. It is true that we're celebrating 20 years of marriage this year. But what I want to kind of say from the off is that I'm not stood up here today because I think that I or Emma are any kind of relational gurus, okay? I think if I'm really honest, the only reason why I'm qualified to be up here is because I'm still married. Like, literally, that's it. And uh, we have three kids that have been brought up in the house of God and are still in the house of God, loving Jesus. And I think that for us, what we've understood is that we don't have the perfect marriage. We do not have the perfect family. But for us in our life, perfection has never been the goal because perfection oftentimes is completely un attainable. But I'll tell you what we are aiming for, a healthy marriage and a healthy family unit. So I'm not up here in any way trying to say, hey, listen, you should do what we do because we're so perfect. In fact, I'm going to try and disclose to you some of our biggest failings uh, in our marriage and as parents so that you are assured of the fact that really we're only just up here by the skin of our teeth. So I'd like to share with you from the start some of the, the biggest parenting fails that we have encountered on our journey of being married. I remember when the kids were small, I think it was like one of the very first times that we'd left them alone, you know, kind of like, I think the eldest was about 15 at the time, something like that. It was one of the first times that we'd left them alone whilst we nipped out somewhere. And when we came back, the house was calm. Everything was great. Everything was wonderful. It was just so peaceful and tranquil. I was thinking to myself, wow, we should totally do this more often. But then I happened, for whatever reason, to go up onto the third floor of our house, which at the time was where the playroom was and where the boys would, you know, kind of do Xbox and they would have musical instruments up there. And um, this is the scene that I walked into. This is the third floor in our attic. And that is 15 litres of paint all over the floor. And what you'll also notice is there is no longer a lid on the chest of toys. You, you'll notice that there is a CD rack. Who remembers CDs that has been pushed over in the corner? I mean, I'm looking at that thinking, these kids have been absolutely having a royal rumble. They have been fighting up there. So we interviewed them all and we're absolutely roasting them. And all three of them are absolutely adamant that that was our dog, Gracie. <laughs> and I even said, and did the dog, Gracie, bring up the toilet roll that you can see on the left-hand side of the picture that is going to really help clear up the 15 litres of paint? I mean, like, this is what I've had to deal with. I remember another time, Emma comes in and she's looking like super serious. And she's got that look. You know, husbands, the look that you know that when your wife gives you that look, you know there's about to be a big problem. We're about to go to World War III, and I have no idea why we're about to go there. And she just says to me, Luke, is there something that you need to tell me about? And I'm like thinking, did I forget to put petrol in her car this week? Like, I don't know. What, what did I do? What did I do? And I'm thinking like, no, not at all. And then she sits down. She takes hold of my hand, and she says, Luke, you know that you can tell me anything, right? I'm going, okay. She says, is there anything that you need to tell me? I'm going, nope, 
She goes, Luke, I know. I say, you know what? She goes, I know about your gambling addiction. <laughs> I said, my gambling addiction? She says, oh yeah. I've been through the bank statements. I found that there are multiple transactions to bet Fred. I know all about them. And I'm going, hun, I have never placed a bet in my entire life. I don't actually know how to place a bet. And she's like, look, are you seriously going to try and tell me and blame, blame this on the kids? And I'm going, I promise you, I've never placed a bet in my life. So then I start interrogating all the kids. It transpires that one of our young kids has downloaded the Betfred app on Emma's iPhone. Emma doesn't realise that the app automatically links to her cards that are in her iPhone wallet. And now every time when the football's on every Saturday... You know, when the adverts come out and says, you can place your bet now, one of our kids spent like 800 quid on Betfred. And you know what? He wasn't even any good at it. You know what I mean? Like, we, we didn't even win anything. I'm like, come on. So I know what it's like to fail as a parent as well. I, I remember another time we were on holiday and we, we'd, we'd gone to Turkey for a long time because um, we just found a place there and it just worked for the whole family. And the thing about Turkey is, is that they have these amazing markets and you can buy anything you want in these markets, like literally. Now, I'm not necessarily convinced that all the products they sell are genuine. However, what I will say is you can get a great bargain, okay? And I can remember, like, we, we didn't have a whole bunch of money at all. It was a blessing that we were even able to go on holiday. And our youngest kid was football mad. And he was like, can I have a Barcelona football shirt? And before the holiday, I'd really tried to get him one and I didn't have the money to get him one. But now we're in Turkey and we're at the markets. I am buying him a Barcelona football shirt. So I get him the shirt, I get him the shorts and I get him the socks. And I take it back to him and he's like, you got me the Barcelona one? I'm like, I got you. I, I sorted you out, son. And he's got Messi on the back. I'm like, I'm your dad. And he's like, looking at this and he's like, oh, this is amazing. And there was hugs and there was like all this celebration. Celebration. And then he just looks at me and he says, Dad, he goes, is this a real one or is this a turkey black black one? I said, son, son, this thing is genuine. I have worked hard to save up money so you can have the real thing. And he's like, okay, great. And he's like wearing it on holiday every day. He's absolutely loving it. And every now and then he'd run over to me and he'd be like, hey, dad, dad, this is the real one, right? It's not the black one. I'm like, son, it's the real thing. <laughs> we go home and that Friday night, he goes to training and he gets out of the car and he's like all swagging it up with his Barcelona kit on and he runs down to train. He's so happy to be at training with all of his friends. Except when I picked him up, he didn't have the same persona. He came into the car and he's fuming. He's angry. He opens the car and he just sits in. And he goes, Dad. I was like, yes, son. He goes, it's turkey black, isn't it? I, I said, no, son, like it's, it's real. He goes, no, Dad, it's turkey. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I'll tell you how I know, Dad. Everyone else has got the real kit. Their stripes go that way. My stripes go this way. <laughs> I said, said, son, you, your mother told me it was real when she bought it. I'm going to have a word with her when we get home. 
Okay, so now I feel like I've disclosed to you that we're not actually perfect people at all and we're certainly not perfect parents and we're certainly not involved in a perfect marriage. But what I would like us to try and do is just understand some ways that maybe we can all make our marriages a little bit more healthy. Because if you're anything like me, what you might know and what you might have found is this, that the level of tension and stress in your house, it rises and falls depending on the level at which there is good or bad connection with your spouse. So in other words, I find that when Emma and I are good and we're great and we're in a really good place, I find that our stress and tension and grievances at home on that meter, it's really low. Like it doesn't matter what comes our way, we can handle it. But what I find is that when we're struggling and we're not getting on and we're not connecting, it doesn't matter what it is, but there is just increased tension and anxiety and stress in our entire household. And that's taken us 20 years to figure this out. But the truth is, is that maybe there are some practical things that we can all do to implement in our married lives to try and increase the way in which we connect with our spouse. Because some of you know exactly what it's like to not being good connection with your spouse. For some of you, you know full well of how it feels incredibly stressful when she's giving you the silent treatment and it lasts for days. Or when he's walked out, stormed off in a huff, slammed the door, taken himself off, and now you know it's not going to be resolved for days. For some of you, you know what it's like to have walked down the altar or to the altar saying I do, but now a few years in, you're like, I'm not even sure anymore. Maybe I would even say I don't, or I don't want to do this anymore, because it's tension-filled, and you don't get on, and he's grumpy, and she's unaffectionate. He doesn't give you the emotional support that you need, and you believe that you deserve, and he's adamant that he just lives in an affectionate, affectionless, sexless marriage, and it causes frustration for both of you in every area imaginable. So I think that what I want to try and do is knowing that when you're hurting, chances are you're going to hurt the people around you in your world, which is why it makes perfect sense to me that when Emma and I are in a good place, it feels like everything else is just running smooth. And yet when we're in a bad place, it feels like there is an increased amount of stress, anxiety and tension in our house because hurting people hurt people. So my question really is, is if you are hurting right now, what can we do scripturally to move from hurting? to a place that says, I may be hurting, but I'm hopeful, and I'm hopeful again. So I want us to jump into Genesis 2 and understand a principle that I think that is given to us in a really clear way. Verse 22 to verse 24, and this is where God is literally mandating the relationship between man and woman, husband and wife, and he says this, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out from the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. United, remember that word. And they become one flesh. That word united is taken from a root word that is called debak. Debak carries with it certain connotations and meanings 
that are not always translated when we solely use the English word united. The word debak, it means to cling to and adhere to. It's talking about husband and wife, man and woman, that they would cling to one another, that they would stick to one another like glue, adhere to one another. But it also means that they would catch one another by pursuit, that they would pursue each other hard with affection and devotion. Debak is the pursuit of your loved one with affection and devotion. And yet, if we're really honest, a lot of people's marriages don't look like that today. A lot of people are in relationships and yes, you are married and you've got the ring on the finger, but there's zero pursuing anymore. There's no clinging to anymore. There's no adhering to one another anymore. There's no pursuing hard with affection and devotion. I mean, sure, you live in the same house, but there's certainly no clinging to. There's no passion. There's no love. There's no romance. I mean, on paper, you're together, but internally, it feels like you're a million miles apart. You know, it's almost like, can you remember the days when you first started dating I can remember when um, Emma and I started dating. I think that the real reason why I was able to woo her was because of my DJing gifts and abilities. And I was able to make her up not a mixed tape, but a mixed mini disc. I mean, we went to whole nother levels. Like the church is like, what even is a mini disc? Well, after a CD, there was a mini disc and it was a failure of a product. But I actually bought her a mini disc player to play my mixtapes on them. And number one was, of course, the 1996 classic pretty green eyes. I mean, I just know that if you go there with a girl, like she is going to fall for you head over heels. But some of you did some silly things like that too. I can remember this other time when we were dating, we'd actually gone, I think it was to like Meadow Hall in Sheffield, you know, day out shopping. And Emma fell in love with this coat. And I mean, she fell in love with it. It was in this really fancy shop and I was like trying to impress her. And I just kind of said, go ahead, dear, buy the coat. And she kind of was like, oh no, no, it's too expensive. I can't buy the coat. I was like, babe, I got you. Buy the coat. And she was like, are you sure? And I was like, absolutely, let's buy the coat. I said, you go wait outside, let me take care of everything. I hadn't even looked at the label. I took this coat to the till and the lady scanned the barcode. And then she came back and she said, the price of the coat was 499 pounds. I said, sorry, no, no, I just wanted the coat, not the entire wardrobe, uh, just the coat. And she says, no, it's 499 pounds. Truth is, I didn't have 499 pounds, but I had a credit card. And I can remember literally at that moment at the till, Emma was outside waiting for me and she was looking stunningly beautiful and cute and pretty. And she was smiling and she was blinking. And I can remember being stood at the till. 499. You know what I did? Yeah. I looked down and up and then I thought, okay, we'll do the 499. Like... But I wouldn't encourage that anymore. I was young and I was foolish. Do not do that on a credit card. Ridiculous idea. (laughs) 
But it's true though, isn't it? Like when you're dating, you live in each other's pockets and man, you're gonna pursue her. You're gonna pursue him. And yet the longer you stay married, it's that often which is the very first thing to go. And I think that the reason why I'm even noting this is because I think that Solomon talks about this. And he was one of the wisest men that ever lived. And in Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse 15, he talks about how that in a relationship, you've got to catch all the small foxes because if you don't catch the small foxes, they will ruin the, ruin the vineyard of love. And I think that the idea is, is actually is that this can come across as being such a seemingly insignificant small thing that some of you are even dismissing it right now, thinking like, pursue him, come on. We've been married 20 years, are you serious? Like, you want me to, you want me to like pursue her and you want me to like, come on. And I think even Solomon was like, no, no, you don't understand. It's actually by taking care of some of these small things that if you take care of these small things, it means that you will not have a big problem to fight later on. If actually we'd just be willing to follow what Scripture says and just do the small things over a long enough period of time, it will set your marriage up strong, not for perfection, but for health. And I think that these these are some small things that I think that when we get these three small things wrong that I want to talk to you about today, it's when it can lead to trouble and tension in our marriage. And as a result of the trouble and tension, you get hurt. And when you're hurt, you're going to hurt people. So let's try and help us all move from hurting to hoping as we look at three things that if we implement these things in our lives, it'll give us a healthier relational world. So the first thing you've got to start to do is if you are married, when you see something good, say it. When you see something good, say it. Hebrews 13 from chapter three says this, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. The writer is encouraging us to be proactive with our words, like Dave so brilliantly spoke about last week. But here in the In the framework of a marriage, I think the encouragement would be is never allow encouragement to be lacking in your marital life. And I've learned this the hard way. We've been married 20 years this year, but I think it was probably a little over a year ago. Emma and I were going out on a date night. I taking care of the things that I always take care of. I book the restaurant. I book the place. So I'd done what I thought was necessary and required and Emma came down and she was all super dressed up. She looked stunning and she looked beautiful and she came down and she just said, how do I look? And I said to her, I said, oh, you look fine, babe. Let's go. Because in traditional, um, you know, the way that it always runs in our family is Emma is typically late for 99% of things. I was getting a bit frustrated and she comes down and she's like, how do I look? And I was like, oh, you look fine, babe. Let's go. And then she just said this thing to me and she said, I don't want to look fine. I don't want to look fine. You never compliment me anymore. And the truth is, I was just being an idiot. 20 years in, you start to take things for granted. I mean, the truth is, I'd seen her walk down the stairs and in my mind, I was thinking, she looks stunning. In my mind, I was thinking, I love what she's wearing. In my mind, I am thinking, man, she is so pretty and she's so beautiful. But because we're a few minutes late, what do I do? I say, yeah, you look fine, babe, let's go. She said, I don't want to look fine. You never compliment me anymore. And that's a big mistake for us boys to make. 
And sometimes you've got to understand that if you keep doing that long enough, you're going to create a huge void in her heart. There's going to be something lacking in her world. But I don't just want to solely speak about the boys to the girls. I'll come on to the girls to the guys in a minute. But you've got to understand that when you see something good in your married life, we've got to remember to say it. Non-dependent on how long you've been married, voice it. Because if words of encouragement are lacking, you're on a difficult road. Men, pursue her with your words. Pursue her with words of affection. Guys, whatever you do, do not allow the only source of words of affection to enter her life from her friends, because I promise you, it'll start with her friends, but at some point it'll be a guy in the office, or at some point it'll be somebody commenting on Instagram or TikTok. I'm like, guys, it's your responsibility. Continue to pursue her with words of affection. If she's looking good, tell her she's looking good. Give her words of affection. Let her know that she's loved. Tell her that she's valued. Tell her that she's sexy. Tell her with your words to affirm her and let her know that you can be affectionate towards her. But women, you've got to pursue him with words of affirmation. Whether you like this or not, boys, the truth is that there is a part within every single one of our hearts, our souls were configured like this, that actually you just want to be told by someone anywhere, you're doing a great job. Boys, you need to be told, actually, you're doing a great job. And hey, you might not be where you want to be, but you're doing a great job at sticking in at just where you are because that's not where you were. You're doing a great job at being a dad. You're doing a, hey, you're doing an outstanding job. Working all those shifts, working all of those additional hours of overtime just to provide for our family, you're doing a great job. So girls, pursue him, but with words of affirmation. Men, She wants to know, do you still love me today? And girls, he wants to know, do you still believe in me today? So when you see something good, say it. But when you see something bad, whatever you do, don't say it. When you see something bad, you've got to explain it. Ephesians 4 tells us this. Don't let sin or don't sin by letting anger control you. In other words, the first part of this is an encouragement for us to say that when you see something in your marriage or your relational life that you do not love and you don't like, don't allow the result of that for you to fly off the handle and get all angry and all aggressive, or even for some of you girls, all emotive and start screaming and shouting because Guys, when you get all angry and aggressive and all worked up, she doesn't hear anything that you say. She just watches you get all angry and aggressive. But girls, you know when you get super emotional and you start crying and running out of rooms and slamming doors, he doesn't hear anything at all that you've got to say. He just watches you get emotional and slam some doors. But the truth is, is that if you see something bad, if there's something that you don't like, if she's being away, if he's speaking away, if something's not working functionally in the home, explain it. Don't just make these statements 
about that's not right, that sucks, that doesn't work. Explain it. The scripture goes on to say, don't sin by letting anger control you and don't let the sun go down whilst you are angry. The truth is sometimes you've just got to agree to just simmer down the tensions and have a conversation. And there are many things that you can fight about, but you've got to choose the way in which you communicate. So start to use phrases. And I'm not going to try and teach anybody to suck eggs because you can come up with your own But use phrases rather than saying, I hate that when you did this, all angry and aggressive and pointing the finger. Use phrases like, hey, when you said this, it made me feel this way and I hate feeling this way. I need you to help me. Use phrases that says, hey, when this happens, I really struggle to understand why it is that way. Use phrases like, can you help me see this from your perspective? Because from where I am, I just don't get it. And sometimes it's really helpful to call it out if you're angry. Sometimes it's good to say, hey, listen, right now I'm really angry. I'm all worked up. I don't think I'm going to be able to have a a reasonable conversation. Can we just press pause on this and can we come back to it in an hour? Because when you see something that's not working, explain it. Thirdly and finally, when you're not sure what to believe in your marriage, be certain to believe the best. When you're not sure what to believe, be certain to believe the best. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it tells us that love believes all things. And there was absolutely a point in your relational life where you absolutely believed the best in her. And there was a point in your relational and marital lives where you trusted him wholeheartedly. And I think that sometimes when things do go wrong, when things happen that maybe you wish did not, when she says something, when he does something, when she responds, when he embarrasses you, I think that there's a better way for us to look at this. Rather than simply treating them and issuing them a decree of the silent treatment that lasts for days, rather than bottling it all up so that that level of anger and frustration literally leads to explosive measures, I think that what we've got to start to do is rather than get angry and get tearful and get emotional and create all this drama and create this storm in a teacup, we've got to choose to believe the best. Like, hey, do you know what? She did say that, but I'm not sure that she meant it for my ill. Hey, you know what? He did do that, but he probably wasn't thinking about it. Like, I'm sure that what was in his heart was for the best of the family. Hey, he did make that decision. It isn't what I would have made but I'm going to choose to believe the best because oftentimes what comes into our relational lives is this grey area about, well, what did he really mean when he said that in front of our family? What did she really mean when she said that on the night out and embarrassed me in front of the whole table? Like what really was meant when she just didn't turn up on time and she promised me that she would? And oftentimes we fill in the gap with all of this scepticism and negative thoughts and negative thinking, when actually I think that Corinthians tells us, look, you guys, you were once truly, madly, deeply, forever in love with each other. And when that day came, you believed the best. And I think if you're gonna have a marriage that's not perfect, but healthy, we're all gonna need 
to believe the best in one another. So when you see something that's good, say it. When you see something that's bad and not working, explain it. And always, because love always does, believe the best in one another. Church, let's stand to our feet. We're gonna pray and we're gonna worship together some more. Why don't we bow our heads in church today? Let's close our eyes. Let's pray. Father, I think that one of the biggest sources of both joy and tension, sometimes even at the same time, can be what happens in our marriages and our relational lives. Yet God, we want marriages that are gonna honour you. We want marriages that aren't gonna be full of conflict, but rather that are truly full of grace. Lord, we want marriages that are an example to others about how we love one another in the way that you have loved us. So God, would you help us to implement these very practical steps today? God, where there are hurting people, I pray that your hope would start to flood in as husbands and wives agree on this day to when they see something good, they're gonna be willing to say it. When they see something bad, they're gonna be willing to talk about it and explain it and not overreact and always choose to assume the best. And we ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. With every eye still closed and every head in this auditorium bowed, in a moment, we're gonna sing a worship song and the band are gonna play some more. But before they do that, I'm gonna say one real quick, short prayer. And I guess that the best way I can describe it is this. If you're in church today, but you've just simply never made a decision to become a follower of Jesus, you've never made that decision to become a Christian. And as we've been talking today, as the worship has been playing, there's a huge part of you that says, I want a piece of that, I want a part of that and you're not able to maybe explain it all with all of the detail, but right now in this moment, there's a huge part of you saying, I wanna be a follower of Jesus. And right now I'm gonna say a prayer and I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer in your heart after me. And this really is just your acknowledging, acknowledgement to God of saying that I believe that you're real and that you gave your son to die for me so that I could know you. So if you wanna become a Christian today, I'm gonna to invite you while no one's looking around, no one's watching you, no one's concerned on what you're thinking about doing or not thinking about doing. This is a moment between you and your heavenly Father. If you wanna get right with God today and become a follower of Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed, pray this prayer after me right now. Father in heaven, I come to you today because I believe that you're real. I believe you gave your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for me so that I could know you in a real and authentic way. I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. And I ask for your forgiveness today. Wipe me clean of all of my sin so that I can know you so come and live in my heart today. Be the Lord of my life. As from this point on, I'm choosing to become a follower of you and I'm calling myself a Christian. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. 
We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.